Hey guys, welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that is my lovely wife, always, Liberty. We're a married couple with different hobbies, and we try to bring each other into those hobbies with the latest news in both books and sports. And boy, are you in for a doozy today of the sports episode, because we've been gone for... What feels like forever. Seriously, forever, it seemed. We took a break for Thanksgiving... We hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. And now we get to do a really long episode. So uh, buckle up. Here we go. Grab some snacks. Yeah. Where did you want to start today? Probably with the NFL because they are still going and there seems to be a decent amount of news. Mostly COVID news, which I didn't (laughs) dig into because oh my god. Boy, um, I covered the big ones. I figured you would. Yeah. There's a lot otherwise. Like, if I sat there and covered every single team's individual breakouts that they had, it's pretty nasty. So, the big part of the news is that now 90% of the teams in the NFL have been affected in COVID in some way, shape, or form this season. Whether it become game delays or starting players not starting games. So, yeah, I don't know who's left on that list, but boy, it's dwindling because... Literally only two weeks ago, it was less than 60% of the NFL. Ta-da! Well, also, the NFL announced that all in-person team activities are prohibited on Monday and Tuesday, which is going to be November 30th to December 1st, to mitigate the whole COVID thing. Supposedly, this is helping stop the spread post-Thanksgiving or something along those lines. Sure. My problem with this is that... It doesn't include games, right. this ban. So, like, what are you that. even doing this for? Yeah. Why? But teams that aren't going to be playing games this week are going to be relegated exclusively to virtual sessions on those days, I guess. Who the F even knows? As far as my understanding of what the CDC standards are currently, you're not allowed to partake in any sporting-based activities 10 days from when you show symptoms as the current update from the CDC. Obviously, when you had it, it was a little different because nobody knew. It was like, take two to three weeks. But now, based on the CDC standards, it's only 10 days, but that's two days. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, I think they're more worried about you contract it on Thanksgiving, and then spread you have a couple everyone. days to spread it around to everybody before yeah. you start feeling sick. It's just, why would you not include the games? This feels like those people who wear those, like, plastic shield things instead of a mask. Like, that's yeah. doing nothing. Well, yes and no. Like, if I sneezed on you, the plastic shield's probably going to protect you more than a mask would, but... The combination of both is really where everybody should be, realistically, if you're really concerned about it. But that's not here nor there, because we're talking about the NFL and COVID, not just COVID, period. There are going to be two games played on those days. You have the Monday night football games, then you have the game that was supposed to be played on Thanksgiving of last week between the Ravens and the Steelers, pushed back to Sunday, then to Monday, and now to Tuesday. So, yeah, it's, it's been interesting to say the least. Those two teams are both experiencing COVID outbreaks right now, and... It's really, really bad with the Ravens, and the Steelers are kind of, like, starting their process of handling COVID. Um, They're down a total of four players on the reserve COVID list and one positive test from a player. But the Ravens, on the other hand, they're going for the trifecta. So, to start off that one, 
That game was pushed back. Obviously, it was supposed to be a Thanksgiving Day game that now will be played the day that this episode goes up on Tuesday, the yes. interwebs. But the Ravens currently have now had a positive test of COVID-19 every day since November 22nd. Maybe they should stop making out in the locker room. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's the issue. That will be my theory until COVID is gone. <laughs> Um, it brings their total count to 18 players testing positive, 10 staffers testing positive, and 20 additional players being put on the COVID-19 high-risk reserve list. So, so who's left to play? The janitors? N- barely anybody, realistically. You're down to second, third, some fourth-string position players. And the Ravens basically were telling the NFL, hey, we just how about we just cancel this game and play it later or just suspend it temporarily and play it even later than Tuesday so that we actually have starting players to play. The NFL's response this week for COVID-related cases is more or less just going, it's not our fault you're not following our protocols. I mean, to a degree they're right, but you still have to do something when this happens. You can't just go, <laughs> right. not my fault. You can't just be like, hey, guy that works at the grocery store that played high school football did you want to come play professional football for a week um because that's more or less what it's coming down to at this point i mean how many strings are there i don't know right now in the year of covid it seems like they're endless that discussion goes on further a little bit later with the broncos quarterback situation i don't know if you covered any of that but it's it's a catastrophe as well but yeah the ravens are probably one of the hardest hit teams right now when it comes to total players this season they're outpacing the remainder of NFL teams by over 15 COVID cases. Good job, guys. You're doing a great job in Baltimore. They don't know how to wash their hands. At all, or just realize that when somebody tests positive, maybe we should let those other people that have been near them not do things for a little while. Right, yeah. But the NFL also rejected this week the quarterbackless Broncos request to delay the game for today. The NFL stated they do not delay games for a lack of position players caused by a lack of following the NFL COVID-19 protocols what did i tell you you have to have depth they don't have the depth all three quarterbacks first second and third string quarterbacks have been deemed high risk close contacts to jeff driscoll who tested positive therefore they are not allowed by current protocols to play in the games none of the quarterbacks have actually tested positive but just because they are within that close proximity of a player that tested positive yesterday they are not allowed to partake in any of the games today this is the right call even though that puts you in a really bad situation i think you get someone with a good arm just hope to god that they're ready so the broncos have come up with a couple different options most of them have been declined by the nfl and i think this is where realistically the nfl is like hey if you're gonna force them to play with not any of their starting quarterbacks due to protocols which i agree with You shouldn't be so stingy about who they pick. So they originally were trying to call up a free agent quarterback. And because they weren't going to meet the incubation period, they weren't going to be able to play today's game. I mean, it's about safety. I understand what you're trying to say, that they're in a bad situation. They can't figure out how to get someone. But at the same time, it's about safety, which is what we were talking about. It gets better, though. And this is where the argument gets ridiculous. So the the Broncos' safety, like basically the guy in charge of team safety right now, played football in college as a quarterback. The NFL also declined to allow him to start. So Has he been with the team the whole time? Yes. Well, that's silly. Yeah. And then most recently, they finally approved a quarterback from Wake Forest who 
played college ball, but it's been a number of years. But because he's been on a practice squad for another organization, technically within the incubation group, he's able to start for them this Sunday. So they're basically their fifth or sixth pick is who they're going to be starting as their quarterback this week. You know, don't talk crap till you see how it goes down. Yeah. Maybe he's for all better we know, than he's, he's the next Tom Brady, right? Like he hasn't played a game in the NFL, but it's time. Time to show your stuff. I mean, I don't like Tom Brady. Let's hope he's better than that. Yeah. But maybe numbers is what you're talking about. Yeah. I just, it's just been a doozy of a week for the Broncos trying to figure out what they're going to do. Realistically, in like the last 72 hours, all this has gone down. So like they, their back office has been very busy trying to get somebody to come play quarterback. Yeah. There were even jokes that Jerry Judy, who in his college football days was involved in a lot of quarterback trick plays as a wide receiver, as starting him at uh, at quarterback as well. And the ownership of the organization is like, listen, he's better off at wide receiver than he is as a quarterback. We're not going to do that. So, This sounds like one of those situations that happens in those really stupid and cheesy sports films I was gonna say that, like this guy's never been a quarterback in his life and here he is a shining star in the fourth quarter and he wins the game yeah it's like we're bringing the guy that represents the captaincy of the trivia bowl team to go play a professional football game like that's almost the level of like comparison it is you know they're bloodthirsty on the trivia bowl teams don't go there <laughs> Also, a weird thing that's happened because of COVID. So in California, especially Santa Clarita County, Santa, Santa Clara, Clara County. County. I know you're going after your TV show that you watch. but yeah. I was thinking about my TV show I watch. Santa Clara County has restricted a bunch of what they call as non-essential things that they don't think you should be out doing. So sports are one of those things. So they're saying if it's recreational, I think is what they called it, they're not allowed to do it, which means the San Francisco 49ers, who not only is their home stadium there, but also their practice facility there, suddenly have to find a home. Yeah, so basically they amended their COVID-19 protocol laws stating that any level of full body contact sports are not going to be allowed in the county. Right. Um, which I understand and I don't like at the same time because it's like these guys are following NFL standards and the 49ers for the most part have been one of the teams that's been doing pretty well following the COVID protocols. Like they've had a couple players out, but not nearly like every other organization has been hit. So why do I vaguely have a memory of them having to exchange a lot of players then? That was injury based at the beginning of the season. Their wide receivers and defensive backs and safeties, they went through a lot of players due to actual injuries, like bodily injuries, not COVID-19. That shows you exactly how much I pay attention to things. Even I say on this podcast. I was going to say, I was like, you, you did a whole segment about that i do remember <laughs> um, but yeah they they're in a pickle they're right now in talks with the arizona cardinals to use both their practice facilities and um stadium for the remaining home games they have three more for the rest of the season so that's not bad it's not like they're gonna be too intrusive necessarily on their guests hosting them so it's weird so like that that affects all the way down from high school level sports up to the professional level of sports okay so it's not like they were like taking a shot at pro sports by any means like literally anywhere from the high school level all the way up you have to realize that california you have people densely packed in and like of course they're trying to control this because it could get way worse 
way faster if they don't. Right. Especially in the holiday season, since so many people don't seem to realize you shouldn't go home right now. Yeah. Traveling was at a lower percentage than it ever has been, but there's still the numbers were ridiculous. The amount of people that were traveling. Well, you have more people driving than flying, but you still have people flying, which is a mistake. And that plus sports, plus everything else in California is just not a good idea right now. So it may be tricky for the 49ers right now, but it's probably the best bet the rest California. of Californian sports are not affected by this. Um, right. This is county specific, but yeah. I'm saying California is so densely populated. I'm not surprised some counties are going this far. And again, the irony behind that is most of the California teams are actually doing pretty well with handling COVID protocols. They're not the ones that are really problematic. Like I think the Chargers have had like three or four total players affected by it. The Rams have maybe four or five players. And I don't know that the Niners have really had more than like two or three. So like the restrictions that California as a state have put into place and the NFL, because they're being followed, are doing well. It just seems like outside of California, everybody can't quite get their heads wrapped around it for some reason. Uh, That coming from a Californian. So, you know, maybe I'm a little biased, but based on the statistics that I'm seeing coming back from the NFL, it's, it's working there. So... But boy, there's a lot more in the world of COVID. I don't know how much more you have of it, but I, I've got all the fines and all these things that have gone on this week as well. That was literally all I wrote down for COVID because there was so much. It was absolutely insane. And I knew you would probably cover it. Let's cover the two big fines of the week. So the NFL has fined the New Orleans Saints $500,000 and docked a seventh round draft pick for failing to wear a mask during post-game locker room celebrations after defeating their divisional rivals, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 38-3. to So they are, in fact, making out in the locker rooms. They're not, but they're not wearing masks and they're dancing around and, like, singing and shouting and that's just... Kissing? No kissing. <laughs> they're spreading COVID like crazy because of that. The NFL has also fined the New England Patriots $350,000 for COVID-19 protocol violations uh, related to the Cam Newton situation that happened earlier on in previous weeks. What happened with Cam Newton? He tested positive for COVID-19, and he was still allowed to practice for two days without... Like, obviously, the test was being processed, so they didn't know that he had COVID-19. Oh, okay. But they let him show up to the facility the day after accidentally. And since he showed up, the organization had known he tested positive, but he didn't know he had tested positive yet. So, like, he showed up to the facility, and they let him in, and obviously they sent him home. But it's just... Yeah, that's what they're getting fined for, so... That. And then as well, the NFL is discussing currently playoff bubbles. Uh, they would include controlled environments for both the home team and traveling away team for each playoff game. They basically would be forced to stay in a designated hotel. So like every team that would be in the playoffs would have to designate their home and away hotels based on outcomes of the games previous. Those hotels would have to go through the same COVID style testings that they had in the NHL and NBA bubbles. Yeah. Um, which worked in those instances and i think that if you're traveling on private charter which most professional teams do you can control those situations just like they are now in the regular season where staff members that are on the flight crew captains all that stuff get tested for covid19 those jets are thoroughly clean between on and off boarding of the planes so i kind of agree with this situation it allows them to 
still have home teams playing their home games during the playoffs, but then really just tightening down the net on everything based on what the the current plan is that they're coming up with. It sounds like a strategic nightmare because you have to do it for every possible outcome. That sounds like a lot of trying to figure out what the hell is going to happen. I think it's a better situation than what they're doing currently where the teams can just pick wherever they're going to stay and they stay. It would be better if more teams just did a playoff bubble where you play here and you play here and then we'll come together when it's the final four or the final two or whatever. Because I think like the big issue they're having right now in the NFL more so than anything is that these home teams are living at home and doing normal things like going out and buying groceries and going out and doing these things. There's really no restrictions on the team when they're back at home. And so maybe putting them in a bubble situation would kind of control that issue a little bit. Right. Like, whenever I got sick with COVID, it wasn't like I was out partying or whatever. It was, I went out for a jog twice a week, and I went grocery shopping once a week, and I got sick. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like I need to be out doing all this other crap to get sick. It literally, probably, I picked something up at the grocery store that had the virus on it, and I got sick. So if you're one of those people in this situation where you're surrounded by people for work, it's not a good idea to go around living life like normal. Yeah. And I I think that's the one nice thing that I like about the restrictions that they're putting in place. It is force people that are at home to stay in that hotel. All the food and all that stuff is going to be provided to them just like a normal bubble situation. Right. And the buses that will take them to the facility and back and forth, very similar to what you saw in the NHL where everything is just like, boom, right there, you know, and controlled. So I think that's going to be a a good addition to the playoff structure. This way we don't have playoff games getting delayed due to COVID reasons and all this nonsense. Hopefully. Yeah. We're not there yet. Hopefully. Also in the news, um, we're done with COVID things. So hooray, NFL. There was so much more, but we're going to not stay on that subject all day long because, again, long episode. Uh, Detroit Lions fire their head coach, Matt Patricia, and GM Bob Quinn, who conveniently hired the former head coach, Matt Patricia. Patricia's final record for his career as head coach stands at 13-29-1. Yeah, it's pretty So, uh, 13 wins, 29 losses, and one draw. Bob Quinn basically was like, this is our guy. This is our guy no matter what, even though there were better candidates available at that point in time. So, he's taking basically the brunt of the fire because he was the guy that made the decision to hire the guy that sucked. Well, so. and going into the season, it was basically known around their camp that, like, you have to get us to the playoffs this season. Or You're on it. very thin ice. Right. And with the record they have this year, there's no real way that could happen. Yeah, there's no, there's no safety net for them, clearly. Yeah. But they do have the offensive coordinator, Darrell DeVell. DeVille. De- maybe who is going to be the interim coach for the Lions, probably for the rest of the season, unless they find someone in the meantime. Yeah, NFL teams don't have the tendency to hire new head coaches during the regular season. They'll just wait to see who's not under contract, usually at the end of the season, and make decisions based off of that. So, yeah, he'll probably play out the remainder of the season as the interim head coach. A little bit of a stingy moment, I guess, for the Eagles owner. He's not happy with the team's performance as of lately, and he is notorious for being a guy that is at every single full practice, every single game. He travels with the team, you know, he's in the locker rooms with the team, all these kinds of things, because, like, he wants it to be 
like a family-like organization. He wants everybody to know that like they're part of his family, more or less. He didn't travel to the last game in Cleveland. The organization is claiming it's because of COVID safety reasons. Information has gotten out from within his organization that he didn't travel with the team because he's disappointed in the performance of the Eagles this season. He's not happy with the way that they're playing in the worst division in the NFL. So, so. there is no unconditional love in this family? I guess not in this instance right now. As well, in the last few weeks, he's actually left, they're saying, over 10 practices early. And again, he's the guy that literally is like, there when the first person arrives, leaves when the last person leaves type of a guy. So the fact that he's like, I can't watch this crap anymore. Right. Like, it's, it's rough. I can understand being fed up, but like, how demoralizing is it when your papa just goes around doing that nonsense? Well, how demoralizing is it when you know that this guy has been through awful seasons with the Eagles and he never left a game or a practice before this and now he's like, I can't do this anymore. What's their record this season? Do you know? Uh, I can find out. Currently, the Eagles are 3-6. and six. They're in second place in the division somehow. Well, aren't um, there people playing worse than that? That doesn't sound so bad. Well, you got the Cowboys here in Dallas that are 3-8 and eight and the Giants that are 3-7. and seven. So, yeah, the Eagles are 3-6-1 and one currently. They have one tie this, this year as well. They're really not that far back game-wise. Obviously, they're really realistically one game back. But the Jets are 0-10. and 10. <laughs> At least they're not the Jets. But the Jets are always garbage. The Eagles are normally a very competitive team. And, and that's Papa where doesn't love us anymore. Yep, he's not happy. Um, but getting back to the other sports news with the NFL. Also this week we have Joe Burrow's injury report coming out. He's torn his MCL and ACL. And he'll be missing the remainder of the season of his rookie year. They're saying there's additional injuries, but they're not really like going into it additionally. But yeah, it's season-ending surgery. He should be back by next year is what Joe they're Joe Burrow, you said? Yeah, Joe Burrow. Yeah, they said that the initial diagnosis is a torn ACL, but the doctors say there's probably more going on. And as far as I can tell, they're saying that they have to do more of a like exploratory surgery to get in there and see what's happening. Right. But, you know, take that with a grain of salt. And then also this week, the Washington football team is considering not changing its name and just keeping the current name of the Washington football team. Okay, this is stupid for two reasons. (laughs) One. I was waiting for your reaction to this, by the way. One being, that's a stupid name. You look like idiots. But two, you technically have an opportunity to make money twice because you changed to the Washington football team. So there's your moneymaker number one. You can get people who want that weird crappy name on shirts and stuff like that. But then if you change it to a real name after that, there's your second opportunity to get more people buying jerseys and hats and shirts and crap. And so this doesn't make a smart financial decision at all. Yeah. They're also in the process right now of... Is it that guy? Is it because that guy bought all those names? No. Oh, It's dang. possible. I don't know. Maybe. I doubt it. They, they're an organization that has enough money to pay for whatever name they really want from anybody. But they're also in the process right now. Their minority ownership group, who owns about 40% of the team, is trying to sell off. They don't want to be a part of the organization anymore. Well, further. with all the bad press that's come out this year about them, I don't blame them. Yeah, between the sexual harassment charges and all sorts of things that have come forward against the organization, it's just not a good year for the rest. Oh, almost Ooh. said it. Uh, 
It's not a good year for the Washington football team. Gosh, that's going to be such a tough habit to break. It's like all my issues with all the previous team names that have changed, like the Tampa Bay Devil Rays and things. The thing that I think keeps me from making that mistake is that I like ridiculing them and calling them the Washington no-names. Yeah. So you can just go with that. Yeah. But an organization from California, well, I shouldn't say that, a investment group from California was interested in buying out that 40% share of the organization. And the main owner of the team is like, no. Why? Well, he owns the other 60% of the team. So realistically, what he says goes. I know, but why? I'm not sure. There wasn't really any information related to that, but he Hmm. denied the sale. So I'm wondering if that's because he'd rather have one person owning the 40% and not some group that's full of like a lot of people owning the 40%. Well, the the 40% is currently owned by three different people. Okay. The buying group, when it comes to the investment group, would be, I believe it was like four or five total people being involved in the ownership. But it's one company, so realistically, it's one entity and one yeah. entity, and I think that's why he's like, "Whoa!" But still, sixty forty, you own. You, you the make majority. the decision, yeah. still, yeah. Weird. But that's all the NFL news I have. I don't know if really? you have any more. I didn't really go into depth on some things, so. I have a couple of short, quick things. Great. Offensive tackle Lane Johnson is out for the rest of the season due to an ankle injury, which will require surgery. Fun. For some reason, I don't know what team he's on. But he's out for the what season. What was his name? Lane Johnson. Oh, he had a great last name. You would say that, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Currently, he plays for the Eagles. Okay. And the Texans are releasing their wide receiver, Kenny Stills, due to a subpar season so far in 2020. No argument there. He has been playing pretty poorly this year. Yeah. I don't know if this means he bought out the contract or they bought out the contract or what happened. That's usually what that means. Yeah, I figured. And then the last thing I had for the NFL was that Ryan Shazier Shazier, established a fund for spinal rehabilitation on Tuesday. His career ended in 2017 when he himself suffered a life-altering spinal cord injury on the field. I almost called it a pitch. (laughs) Um, There's this inner soccer fan in you. Right. Anyway, he announced this on Tuesday... That's a good thing to do, obviously. He basically came out and said this fund is not only for the people who suffer these injuries and all their medical costs and, like, them trying to live more independently, but also for those who help take care of those with spinal cord injuries. Because that's a full-time job on its own. It's true. So, people doing good things. Good things are good. Where would you like to hop off to next? Well, I guess Major League Baseball, but I don't have anything there. You said you found news, which I'm shocked because everything I read was, if this player moves here, then it means this for this team, which is not news. That's fluff to fill in the offseason. So there were some some bits of medical news. You had the Hall of Fame ballots released this past week. So that's like people who are on the list, like short list? Well, it's not a very short list, and we'll go over why um, momentarily. I actually have to pull up an oh, image here on my phone. Major League Baseball, why do you have to do everything like that? So every year there's so many induct like new inductee opportunities, and then there is also... I mean, I guess compared to like all of baseball this would be a short list yeah but still in the large scheme of things it's 
it is the short list by means. But there are players that if they get so many percentages of a vote, I think you only have to be like 5% or higher the previous years. You can continue to stay on the Hall of Fame ballot. So, so that's you have a new- pretty low bar. <laughs> it is. And I don't like that that's how low it is. But you can stay on the ballot because of that. So, but we get to start with one of the health-related issues. Tommy Lasorda was admitted to the ICU on Sunday. The cause of his hospitalization has not been made public, but based on his family's update, he's been improving steadily. So, he's pretty darn old. He coached the Dodgers as the head coach from 1976 to 1996. That's so, a uh, pretty long time as a head coach for a team, making them World Series champions twice in that period of time. So, a decent coach. And, and that's from the era of when head coaches weren't replaced every three or four years based right. on performance. So, like, you know, he was their guy for a long, 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 long time. And growing up watching baseball in the early 90s, a few years that I can remember back to, Lasorda was somebody who was always around, you know, like he was doing press conferences and things like that. Growing up in San Diego, obviously you got that as part of like the Southern California sports picture. You had the Padres, the Dodgers, Lakers, that kind of stuff. So it's good to hear that he's making a recovery from whatever the health issue was that he dealt with. Um, at his age, when I saw the news originally come up two weeks ago, my first thought was, well, we're going to lose Tommy Lasorda in the year of 2020. Like, that just seemed what it was going to be like. So I'm glad that there's good news coming from it this week. So, But let's dive into the Hall of Fame ballots. So for the 2021 Hall of Fame ballot has been Hold released. on, I have to get comfy so I can go to sleep. Oh, okay. Um, the new candidates are going to be Tim Hudson, who is a pitcher, Mark Burley, who is a pitcher, Tori Hunter, who is a center fielder, Aramis Ramirez, third baseman, Barry Zito. What's crazy about Barry Zito is he had one of the nastiest curveballs. Like a six foot four person, the ball would start about at your eye level and it would end up almost down by your ankles. That's how much motion his curveball had. It basically batters just came up to bat and swung, hoping that they'd get a piece of it more or less. The sad thing is, it was pretty much that pitch that he had, and that was it. Yeah. Nick Swisher in the outfield, A.J. Burnett, pitcher, Dan Heron, pitcher, Shane Victorino, outfielder, Latroy Hawkins, pitcher, and Michael Kadire, outfielder. Those are the new candidates. They, the first time on the ballot, never been on there before candidates. Um, the returning candidates, based on their percentage of votes they received in 2020 and the years they've been on the ballot. So there's some big names on there. Kurt Schilling. Got 70% of the votes last year to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. It's his ninth year on the ballot. I feel like there should be a cap on this. Like, you can only be on the ballot so many years in a row. I agree. Because after nine years, it's kind of disappointing. But he's not the only one that's been on there for nine years. No. Why? Uh, You have Roger Clemens with 61% of the votes to be inducted last year. What percentage do you need to be inducted? realistically pretty close to 100 because it's based off of only so many players get in a year oh and so whoever has the highest percentage of votes to be inducted is usually going to be there the reason kurt schilling's not there he's been very outspoken against the mlb and uh, politics being involved with the sport itself so like he he's made some things that statements that have made people go "Ooh, maybe we don't induct you into the hall of fame his career deserving 100 percent like he Deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, but as a person, does he? You know, it's like the really big argument for him. You're allowed to criticize things that you enjoy, love, participate in. That doesn't mean that you think it should all be burned to the ground. Yeah. Barry Bonds 
outfielder, uh, 60.7% last year. He's been also on the ballot for nine years. Uh, obviously, the stipulation that's holding him back is whether or not he actually used steroids. If you've ever seen a picture of Barry Bonds when he started in the major leagues to when he was at his prime in his latter years of his career, uh, when he set the home run career record by passing Hank Aaron, which, again... The drugs were of different times. In Hank Aaron's day, it was speed. In Barry Bonds' era, it was steroids. The dude's head became bobblehead size out of nowhere. And that's usually a pretty big sign of steroid use. So it's just I like... I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. When when you're using as much as they, these guys were using in that era. You also have Omar Vizquel. He's been on the ballot for four years. Last year, he had 52% of the vote to get in. Scott Rowland, 35.3. Billy Wagner, 31.7. Gary Sheffield, it's his seventh year on the ballot, and he had 30.5% of the vote. Todd Helton, he's been on the ballot for three years, 29.2. Manny Ramirez, five years on the ballot, 28.2. You had Jeff Kent, eight years on the ballot, 27%. Andrew Jones, four years on the ballot, 19%. Sammy Sosa, this is the one that's crazy. Nine years on the ballot, less than 14% voted him into the Hall of Fame. Is it the person I'm thinking of? Chicago Cubs player, uh, used steroids, caught multiple times with corked baseball bats. Uh, So, again, they're trying to keep the Hall of Fame pure of crap like that, basically. So... I don't know that he'll ever be inducted. He's also been notoriously known lately. People have accused him of bleaching his skin because he's kind of done the Michael Jackson thing where he's gotten really pale. Okay. And he's from the Caribbean, so he's naturally very dark skinned. So it's kind of crazy to see that change. Andy Pettit, he's been on there for three years, 11%. And then last but not least, Bobby Abreu, two years on the ballot. 5.5%. 5.5%. So basically the player, in order to be inducted, needs to get 75% of the vote to earn an induction option. So roughly is the way it's been averaging like the oh, okay. past years. A couple of those players that are at the nine-year mark are close. They're just not there yet. I'm obviously rooting for Burley to get that opportunity to get in on a first year as a White Sox pitcher, a dominant starting pitcher in the major leagues for pretty much his entire career. But I don't think he'll get it this year. I just... They're stingy. Like, you have to be one of the great greats to get in on the first year of your ballot. Like, it's just more than likely not going to happen. Fingers are crossed. I'll knock on some wood the day of the induction, but, like, vote. But, yeah, there's that. Also, this week, the Dodgers' Andrew Friedman was named MLB's Executive of the Year. Rick Hahn of the White Sox lost by two first-place votes for the winning of that title. So it's just like, oof, so close. And it's more along the lines of, if you might have played well in the playoffs, you might have had a chance at winning executive of the year. Like, it more likely would have done it. Also this week, Theo Epstein, the Chicago Cubs, has stepped down from his role as president of baseball operations for the Cubs. Jed Hoyer will be taking the reins in the meantime. He most recently served as the Cubs' uh, executive vice president and general manager. So he's already doing most of that job already he's just getting a couple more responsibilities thrown at him and then ken griffey jr becomes part of the ownership group involved with the seattle sounders this is kind of mls and baseball news because ken griffey jr is a baseball player but him and his wife wanted to be more involved with the community and really believed in a lot of the charities that the seattle sounders do in the seattle area so they figured if they became part of the ownership group they could maybe grow the programs a little bit more and help the surrounding city so And then this week as well, Robinson Cano has been suspended from the 2021 season after testing positive for the second time in three years for using player-enhancing drugs or PEDs. 
His contract has been allowed by the MLB to be not hitting the salary cap. So it's $24 million more money that the Mets will have to play with trying to move some more players in to kind of fix that problem. And then the last bit of MLB news I have. You promise? It's it. That's it for the MLB news. Not for all the news, but for the MLB news anyways. One that's close and near and dear to my heart, the Field of Dreams game. Oh, yes. uh, Will be played August 12th between the Yankees and the White Sox in Dyerville, Iowa. What's annoying about this is now I have to try to get tickets to this thing. Who doesn't want to go watch baseball in Iowa in a cornfield? Me. What? What's in Iowa? Cornfields. That's it. Yeah. And the original Field of Dreams. What's really cool about what the MLB's done with this, they've actually bought the property around the original Field of Dreams and have built a stadium, stadium-esque of the Field of Dreams situation from the movie. So the outfield will have an actual wall, but beyond it is going to be cornfields. There's not going to be seats in the outfield. It'll only be around the infield, so it'll feel more like a, a spring training facility. So it's going to be a little more private affair, I guess, is the way they're they're comparing it. Obviously, they're not building bleachers that are going to sit 40,000, 50,000 fans. It's going to be, you know, keeping it around the 15,000 mark. Which... What I'm hearing is there's less tickets, so it's going to be more expensive. <laughs> Possibly. I'm not I'm not set on going, but if it's affordable, I would love to go is right. my argument behind it. The thing is, how often are they going to play there? Right. Like, maybe once in our lifetime? They'll play at that stadium. Based on what the MLB is planning, once a year it'll be different teams every year. But, yeah, but yeah. your team specifically, who knows when that'll come around again. Right. So, I would like to do this for you. Sounds very pricey. Yeah. It could be a fun little road trip, like we could camp somewhere on the way up or something like that. True. Yeah. But that is all the MLB news I have. Where would you like to hop off to next? The NBA, which was surprisingly full of news. I really didn't find a... Well, that's not true. I had a little bit, but it's not crazy in comparison to what I normally have, so... Well, considering it's off-season, it's way more than I expected to find. Yeah, a lot of signings, a lot of player trades, that kind of stuff. Bam Adebayo mm-hmm. and the Miami Heat have agreed to a five-year extension that will be worth at least $163 million. Yeah, and the catch to that is the contract actually can reach a max extension value of $195 million based on bonus and playing, like, How basically well structures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it seemed to be the week of the max extensions. Um, I'm sure you have more of them, but that was one of the bigger ones for sure. I really only have one other signing, and it's Jay Crowder with the Phoenix Suns. The deal is for three years and $30 million. Well, then you missed a lot of the max contracts. So it's, it's the week of the max contract, and we'll probably end up titling our podcast some similar to something like that. I don't know. But the Pelicans also signed Brandon Ingram in the last two weeks to a five-year, $158 million max extension contract to his rookie contract. So that's the truly maximum dollar amount a rookie can make off of their extension. Okay. So there's so much to contracts. I don't know. It's it's really crazy in the NBA too. So based on the amount of years your original contract was, how many years you've played in the NBA affects how your max contract can actually be. That's really crappy. What if you get a bad first contract and then it's just screwing you over for the rest of your career? It affects it, but if you like the idea is that if you only get like a one year contract in your first contract, you obviously don't deserve a max contract for what it would have been if you suffered through three years with like a bad team, basically. 
I feel bad for them. That's not very good. Well, the idea is the longer you've been in the NBA and based on your performances, you qualify for larger contracts. So that, like, by the time you've been in for 15 years, most people are, your performance is usually dropping by that point, but they can still offer you fair contracts, basically, in comparison. So the Pelicans signed him to the $158 million max that he can qualify for. Also, the Celtics signed Jason Tatum to a five-year max contract of $195 million. Donovan Mitchell of the Utah Jazz also uh, has agreed to a five-year max rookie contract extension of $195 million. The catch-22 with his is $163 million is guaranteed. So, what? Um, That's ridiculous. He played ridiculous. He literally carried the Utah Jazz through the playoffs. Literally. He had four 50-point games in the playoffs, yes. He literally carried them through the games. That would be fun to watch. Let me watch that. Yeah. That's so much better than regular basketball. I almost call it baseball. Yeah. he was, That too. Uh, it's impressive. There's not many players that have done that in their entire career, and he did it in one one year of the playoffs. But that's a lot of guaranteed money. Yeah. A lot. Well-deserved in my eyes. Mm. Um, the Charlotte Hornets also signed Gordon Hayward to a four-year contract valued at $120 million. Um, but those are all the big contracts. There's a lot of little ones that are peppered throughout the news this week, ranging from one-year deals in most of their instances all over the place. So I don't know if you have any more of them you want to talk about, but that's what I have for signings. That's it for signings. There are a couple other things that have happened. So the NBA released their 2020-2021 preseason schedule with preseason games starting on December 11th and concluding on December 19th. Each team is going to play a minimum of two and a maximum of four games, so somewhere in there. And the regular season will tip off on Tuesday, December 22nd, and this season is going to include 72 games for each team. Correct. I don't know how this differs from other seasons, but they're playing 72. Yeah, and also this week in related news to that drop, the NBA released its COVID-19 protocols for the 2021 season. It's a 134-page document, which I'm going to summarize in the big things, really, and just kind of keep it there because otherwise we'd literally be here till tomorrow. I'm giving you the stink eye, but go on. The stuff that I basically focused around is when staff members or players test positive for COVID-19. I feel like that's the most important thing. So if a player or staff member tests come back positive... They will have to complete one of two options to be able to be allowed back at the training facility. The first option is to wait 10 days from the original positive test date or let 24 hours pass after their fever ends. So basically the fever, as you know, lasts a while with your COVID experience. So the 24-hour period, it's one or the other. You either, whatever is going to be longer is either the 10 days from when you first tested positive or the 24 hours past their fever end. So that's the first stipulation option. Second option is the person must have two consecutive negative COVID-19 tests within 24 hours between each test. In case of those situations where there's like a false positive, if they're able to get two negatives 24 hours apart from one another, then they'd be allowed to come back to the facility as well, which is basically what the NFL is doing, the MLB did. The NHL did when they were going through their COVID practices during that period of off-season between the regular season and the playoffs. When they were in camps, yes. Yeah, so it's good that that standard is kind of becoming regular now, which makes a heck of a lot of sense. So those are the only two ways that a player or staff member can come back to the training facility. Um, The league has also included an extension of their 
call center, or as some of the players were calling it, the snitch line for COVID-19 breaks of protocol. I had no idea that was a thing. Uh, so it's an anonymous call center where basically the players, staffers, anything that anybody that's involved with the season will be able to report COVID-19 protocol rule breaking situations, I guess, so that the NBA can kind of keep a little more watchful eye on what's going on. It's bad that they dubbed it that because it's like you don't want your health to be considered. You don't want the health of your teammates to be considered. I think it was deemed that way by only a small group of players because there were a lot of players that came out and was like, my health is more important than you being considered about somebody calling a phone number, you know, and then them investigating it properly. I kind of agree with most of the players where they're like, it's for us to be safe. Like, so don't, don't act like that. And then I've got a couple weird ones. I don't know if you have any more NBA news, but those... I do. Okay, let's continue right along. So the NBA All-Star 2021 in Indianapolis has been postponed to 2024. Basically, they're saying that the reason is because the public health conditions prevented the Pacers and the host committee and the NBA from appropriately planning All-Star activities. I think it's because they don't know how to do the All-Star with all this other crap you have to consider, like everyone's safety and health and all of that fun stuff. Yeah, so... the. NBA All-Star game was supposed to be played on February 12th. That's far too soon to be letting fans be, like, drooling around all all on top of each other. Especially right after the holidays, when we're definitely going to have the worst COVID spike. Yeah, so that's... That's predominantly the reason that they've like, hey, listen, we're canceling it this year. The NBA is trying to figure out like if they're still going to be able to hold like dunk contests and things like that to be televised during that time instead of the normal games. But okay. they haven't come up with a plan. It literally was in quotes in all the articles I read, a plan quite yet to solve that problem. It's one of the many things on their plate right now. Well, they also have to deal with the fact that they've delayed the Hall of Fame weekend this past August because of the virus. Right. And now they're having it in May, May 13th through 15th. Mm -hmm. And the three, I think, that are being inducted are Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, and Kevin Garnett. All some of my favorite players were watching basketball when I was a kid growing up, so I'm not shocked. And as you remember, Bryant died in that helicopter crash at the end of January. What? I'm kidding. Of course. Don't be that person. <laughs> um, yeah, that was probably one of the saddest moments of this year was losing Kobe. So There have been so many to choose from, though. How do right. you pick? Right. And so... Now it's going to be in May. I don't know what this means for the next set of Hall of Fame inductees. I read an article about it about like three or four weeks ago that they're not really planning on delaying the next one. It's just... They're just close together. Yeah. And it's because technically they are the class of 2020 that's being inducted. They're not going to change the title of it. It's just suspended temporarily due to pandemic you know well i don't know if they're gonna push it back a couple months so there's more space between the two hall of fame weekends or if they're just gonna keep it in august i doubt it i think they'll probably just keep it where it is but again that all comes down to whether or not we're in the same situation next year which hopefully we're not so well hopefully there's something close to herd immunity by august yeah But that's all my NBA news. Well, I'm going to open the doors for a couple more things. I've got an injury. Uh, Clay Thompson 
will be out all of the 20 and 21 season due to a torn Achilles tendon in his right leg. He missed all of last season with a torn left ACL. So his, his left leg got healthy. His right leg is not now. His connective tissue just doesn't like him. He was playing in a training style pickup game in LA with gosh knows who, but that's where he got injured. So it wasn't even part of the Warriors camps. See, that's what you get when you're playing basketball with people you shouldn't. <laughs> what about I, I COVID know. safety? Yeah. What about it? Instant yeah. karma. I'm just joking. It's a joke. Uh, there also was a three-team trade this week with Trevor Ariza being moved for the third time in the last week. Poor uh, guy. Yeah, he was traded on draft day twice, and then this third trade. So this is the third team he'll be a part of. In, in is Wilmington. he just being used as something to like sweeten the pot? Or? Basically. Yeah. Okay. He's going to be moved to the Oklahoma City Thunder along with Dallas Mavericks' Justin Jackson. Three different teams were involved in this trade. The Pistons will be receiving DeLon Wright, and the Mavericks will receive James Johnson. All those players moving around everywhere because of just because, I guess. Obviously, we also had the NBA draft while we were gone. Um, I'm only did going we? Over, yes. Wow, I pay no attention yeah, to sports. It, it's okay. I did, so I'm here for you. I'm only going over the top five picks because those are really the big names. After you get beyond that, it's like guys that unless you really follow the NBA, you know nothing about. Okay. The first pick went to the Timberwolves. They drafted Anthony Edwards. The second pick went to the Warriors. They drafted James Wiseman. The third pick went to the Hornets. They drafted LaMelo Ball. And the fourth pick went to the Bulls. They drafted Patrick Williams. And the fifth pick went to the Cavaliers. And they drafted Isaac Okoro. That, I know none of those names. Not right. even the sports teams. Well, LaMelo Ball is part of the Ball family. And his dad is kind of a weird dude like he's challenged recently michael jordan to play a one-on-one game for a million dollars um that's a choice he's this well he is a former nba player but like he literally in interviews has been found saying that he married his wife for genetic purposes so his kids could play basketball like be professional basketball players yeah he's kind of a just he's a weird dude and in a lot of really bad ways like he's gotten involved in a lot of his children's contract talks in the uh, nba and so much so that like he's been removed from actual team facilities based on his actions while on the facility campuses so did he walk up to his wife and go baby you look good in those jeans (laughs) i don't know let me unzip your (laughs) double helix yo yeah i don't i don't know about that but yeah he's He's just weird That's in so just, many ways, in almost a creepy manner. It's like the Subban family, but like the other side of it, like yeah. bad. Yeah, and there's three brothers. Two of them currently play in the NBA now after the draft. Um, the third one is still coming up, but he created a brand for them while they were in high school. As a company, it was called Big Baller Brand. It was literally three Bs because it was ball, ball, and ball because of the kids. It did well for about a year and then went bankrupt because he didn't know how to handle a business. What did they do? They sold, like, just clothes and shoes, like, different things, like, just their own branded stuff. It didn't work very well. Um, he sounds icky. Yeah, I don't know. It's, he's always left a bad taste in my mouth. And I'll be honest, most NBA fans' mouths, really, like, if you follow the NBA, you know what I'm talking about. He's just weird and gross. And okay. Distance yourself from him. He asked his son, Lamelo to wear that branding name stuff during the draft, and his son was like, I'm not only not participating in this, I'm not going to be at the family house when I get drafted. Like, he literally is like, I don't want anything to do with you, dude. Like, just 
Leave me alone. Yikes. Um, he recently signed, I believe it was like a $300 million contract with Puma Basketball. So, you know, he's doing just fine without his daddy's company being involved with him. So. Sounds like his dad would drag him down. Yeah, if anything. Yeah. Mm. And then also this week, we had a fight, a boxing fight that involved old boxers as well as an ex-NBA player and a YouTube star this week. Okay, all of that also makes me feel icky. Yeah, so YouTuber Jake Paul was fighting ex-NBA star Nate Robinson in an exhibition boxing match as the undercard for the Mike Tyson-Roy Jones fight. So I don't know how to say this, but like Jake Paul as a YouTuber, I don't watch any of his nonsense on there, but he has taken up boxing and mixed martial arts very heavily in like the last three or four years. So like this dude's coming into the fight prepared uh nate robinson on the other hand not so much he was knocked to the mat four times during the fight uh last time unconscious jake paul knocked him out and it's just like why would you partake in something stupid like this shy of just trying to get a little more money like that's the only thing i can think of well i don't like watching fights because i watched a what's the major fight in the cage ufc one of those the octagon yeah Yeah. and this guy got knocked out in the first round and I almost passed the F out on the floor. Like, I was ready to just night-night. Yeah. So, I don't understand wanting to watch these, let alone wanting to participate in one of these. It's yeah. gotta be money. You you can only get knocked around for money. I can't imagine wanting to do that, like, because you like it. And by no means did Nate Robinson have a not like stellar career he was in the nba for 11 years and he won three slam dunk all-star contests so it's like he was a legitimately very well-known well-paid player so it's like did you really blow through all that money and now you have to do these boxing fights like dude it just seems seems a little weird have you seen rich people's houses they know how to waste money on stupid crap yeah and then also this week speaking about spending money in good ways instead of wasting money Michael Jordan announces that he will be donating $2 million of his personal earnings from the making of the docuseries The Last Dance to Feeding America in the areas of Charlotte and Chicago, uh, which are two areas that were very heavily affected by COVID-19. So Jordan also announced earlier this year that over the next 10 years, the Jordan brand will be donating $100 million to social justice causes. Nice. So we approve of this. The dude is doing good things. The ex-Bulls superstar is continuing to do what he did even when he was in the NBA, which is to be very charitable. So he's also one of the few African-American NBA organization owners. So it's kind of cool to see somebody that's finally getting all this money, which he deserves, and putting it to good use instead of just, you know, hoarding it all for himself. Yeah. That's all the NBA news I have this week. A lot for a team that's in the offseason, or sports that... That's in the off season. Yeah. Do you have any MLS news? Sure. Do you actually? I will be shocked. <laughs> no, very, you're just pulling up very, their website. Nope. That's all that's very happening. Little. I actually pulled up some of their news. Hold on. I got you first. Okay. So we are officially in the 2020 MLS Cup playoffs. Yes. During our vacation or week off, mm-hmm. we had round one. So let's go over what happened in round one first. Okay. Orlando City SC and New York City FC tied. They didn't tie. They went to penalty shootouts. Okay, but they tied and it led to them going to penalty shootouts, which Orlando got six. New York City got five. 
Correct. And the Columbus Crew SC beat the New York Red Bulls 3-2. So to both New York teams are out. In round one. Mm-hmm. Good. On November 22nd, you had Sporting Kansas City also tied with the San Jose Earthquakes, mm-hmm. which led to... A shootout. And they got three, whereas San Jose got zero. Yeah, it was pretty much a wrap, that one. Yeah. The Minnesota United FC beat the Colorado Rapids 3-0. to zero. The Portland Timbers also tied with FC Dallas. Which is the upset of all the games you've discussed so far. They also went to, to shoot out and it went 8 to 7. So Dallas It's the first moves time on. in MLS history that it's gone to 8 and FC Dallas is the team that scored them. So like that in itself is nutty as well. Yeah. So and then you had the Toronto FC lose to Nashville SC, which I think is almost a bigger upset because Nashville was seventh ranked, Toronto was second. Yeah. Then you had the Philadelphia Union lose zero to two against the New England Revolution, which Philadelphia was in first, New England Revolution was in eighth, also a big upset. The Seattle Sounders FC beat LAFC three to one. And that was last week. In the conference semifinals, which are starting today, the day we're recording, you've got Orlando City SC playing the New England Revolution and the Columbus Crew SC playing Nashville SC, followed by the Seattle Sounders FC playing FC Dallas and Sporting Kansas City playing Minnesota United FC. So those games starting tomorrow. Starting today. It's the 29th today. I'll, I'll double check it, but I'm pretty certain. Oh, that's so weird. Why is it showing tomorrow? I updated that this morning. Maybe we'll keep all of that in to prove your wife knows what she's talking Or we won't because you're already threatening to cut it out. Hmm. So, yeah, just updated to today. So, yeah, we got some games on the table today, and it looks like the FC Dallas game will be played on Tuesday. And what's crazy is how far stretched out these semifinals are because, like, Sporting Kansas City and Minnesota isn't all the way until Wednesday night, which... It seems like they're taking Monday off for some reason, which I don't understand. No games are happening. Yeah. And then one game one day, one game the next day. Yeah. But then the conference finals seem to be happening on the same day. It'll be December 6th. have no clue who's playing because obviously yeah. we don't. And then the MLS Cup will be December 12th at 8 p.m. Eastern, so... It'll all wrap up eventually. It's just really far spread out. And I don't know if this is normal for MLS or not. Yeah. But I don't know that I'm a fan of doing that. Yeah. Like, especially once your team gets eliminated, you're like, why do I even want to watch any of this? Right. It's pointless. Well, I'm hoping FC Dallas makes a good run. They've obviously already upset a good team by beating Portland. I but just, you'd have to do another upset of to move Seattle, on. yeah. Those teams have been pretty much the most dominant teams in the West, shy of, like, LAFC's, like, bright, shining moments in the last few years. So it's and then it's tough. They got defeated. Yeah. I have basically just standing updates in the world of soccer just because otherwise we'd be here all day. There were some big, big moments during the week, but it looks like Tottenham currently and Chelsea, they're playing as we're recording are still 0-0 that no one has scored yet. Okay. Um, But Tottenham currently sits in first place. Liverpool sits in second place. Chelsea sits in third. So um, with a win, you'd move up three points. So Chelsea would be technically in first place if they beat Tottenham today. 
Leicester City is currently sitting in fourth. Southampton in fifth. Um, Manchester United has done some climbing. They were in 12th to start the week. They're currently in seventh place. Oh, man. Uh, they've won three straight games of uh, their last five. Is that updated from today? Because Manchester won their game this morning. Then that's probably what it's updated from. In this oh, okay. Because last night you guys were still in 12th place. We came back for the W. Newcastle moved up from 17th to 13th with our victory uh, oh, yesterday. So that was exciting. Middle of the table. We're yeah, happy we, to see it. We built Crystal Palace or beat Crystal Palace three to one. Or no, sorry, two to zero. Correct. Sorry. I'm mixing up my sports teams, which is bad. But they're starting to move back up the table, which is good because for the last couple games it's been a little worrisome. You know, we we've lost two, one, two, and drawn one in our last five. So it's kind of a messy mix of things going on. So I'm glad to see that kind of starting to turn around. Also this week, the big news, Bayern Munich sitting still in first place. We won 3-1 to one yesterday. And Red Bull Leipzig has moved up into second place. Bayer Leverskin has hopped over Dortmund and Wolfsburg and moved into third place. And then Dortmund is currently sitting in fourth at the bottom of the uh, Champions League qualifying spots at this point. Uh, Wolfsburg basically nipping at their heels, only a point behind right now. So 18 and 17 points. It's still a very tight group from first to fifth. There's only five points splitting up the pack right now. So right. It literally could go in any direction at this point. It just kind of comes down to how teams start to play and get into rhythms and that kind of stuff. So actively right now, there's a game going on between Mons and Hoffenheim. It's 1-0. to zero. Mons is leaning Hoffenheim. So uh, that would force them to jump over Hoffenheim up in 12th place. Hoffenheim would drop down into 14th where Mons is. So it's basically just a whoop, flip. But yeah, FC Schalke is still, they're one of the top five teams normally in the Bundesliga, sitting in dead last place right now. It's it's a rough year. They're 0-3-6, and 6, so they've had three draws and six losses, but no wins. So they Did fired, someone put a curse on their team? I don't know, but they fired their head coach and a majority of their training staff. So right now they're, I guess, rebuilding more or less from scratch. But that's pretty much all the news I have in the world of soccer. I just, I didn't want to sit and dwell on it, especially knowing how long the episode's already going to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I figured I would do our listeners a little bit of a favor so they can go about their day at some point. Well, we still have my sport, the thing that we seem to talk about the most. The NHL. So starting off, Sergachev signed a three-year, $14.4 million contract with the Lightning. It has an AAV of $4.8 million. So yep. annual average value. The power of the AAV. I mean, for hockey, that's a good contract. I agree. I'm not surprised he got that considering how the playoffs ended. Yeah. And then also in the last two weeks, we also had the Bruins re-sign Jake DeBrusque to a two-year contract carrying a $3.675 million AAV with the capability of picking up another $2 million worth of potential bonuses based on performances. He was a restricted free agent. Mm-hmm. And the full value of the two-year contract is $7.35 million. Obviously not counting the bonus structure, but yeah. Right. Still good monies. A weird thing that I saw that I don't know if you have this, because I don't know if you count this as news, but it's a weird little thing. All right. So Adam Lowry of the Jets was called the other day and told that he was the one who got to approve whether or not his father accepted a job offer. 
because Dave Lowry was offered the assistant job by the Winnipeg Jets coach Paul Maurice. So, so he basically, had to work for his dad. Basically, do you want your dad to be your assistant coach? And he apparently said yes. So his dad got the job. I thought that was strange. They've worked together before, but well, like... Well, obviously, I would imagine at some time between, like, young age to now. Juniors and stuff, yeah. yeah. So he's he's had to be under his dad before as, like, his his coach right. and all of that. But it's I think it's really weird at, like, a higher level of play. It's definitely not common, to say the least. The Subans never had that, right? Nope. Okay. I was like, I feel like... Is it the Sutters that have had that? Yes. Okay, that's who I'm thinking of. Very, very minimally. I think it was for like one season. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. But I thought that was interesting. I would have said no, but that's just me. I didn't get that bit of weird news. I did have a bit of weird news as well. Johnny Boychuk announced that he's retiring after an injury he suffered during the 1920 season. To the same eye he's injured previously, this year's injury involved him getting 90 stitches... Yes, to his eyelid. To his eyelid after a skate clipped him in the face in March. Yeah, March 3rd, he got that cut, had to get stitches. And then apparently there is some optic nerve damage, according Mm -hmm. to his doctors. And they assume it happened when he got the cut to his eye. His head got rattled around or something. It makes sense. And so he's having to end his career He's 36, so, like, he's right in that spot where people start really settling into retiring and not trying to, like, keep going. But it seemed like he was still healthy enough if it weren't for the eye Well, well, the average age for a defenseman in the NHL, like, when it comes to total seasons, usually is around, like, 9 or 10 years. Right. And he's been in the league for 13 seasons. So that's not a bad career. By no means. It just depends on how much money have you been setting aside for retirement at this point. Well, the Islanders at one point made him the highest paid defenseman in the NHL. So I would imagine he's doing okay as long as he didn't burn through his money, of course. That's always the thing with players. You have to make sure you don't burn through your money. Because your career is going to be short compared to everyone else's working careers. Right. I had a really weird one that I found. The Oilers are being sued by a Dallas hotel for unpaid bills. That is really weird. Yeah. Currently, the uh, lawsuit is for $55,000 worth of unpaid bills for blocks of rooms from their first and second road trip to Dallas this past season. Basically, the Oilers are saying it got lost in translation with all the pandemic stuff because they have a contract with this hotel chain. They've used them for like the past five years and they've paid good on all that period of time previously. It's just that their last road trip was the second to last game before the pandemic shut down the organization. So basically the organization was like, it got lost in translation. Like we, we literally just didn't know that we owed them anymore. So like we're paying it, but I mean, that would make sense for if it was just the one game, but you said it was Two yeah, for the first visit and the second visit. So, we were there for the first one. We watched Dallas Stars get torn apart by that first line that the was Oilers that in had. February. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, actually, I, it might have been earlier than that. I think it was last year around the holiday time. To be oh, completely okay. honest, but none of the charges were incurred from damages to rooms or anything like that. It was just the blocks of rooms they owed them for. How many rooms do they have? Jeez. Well, you got to think all the players, staff, coaches. Yikes. And then maybe even the space for, like, all the bags and stuff, like, equipment and stuff. What, the equipment gets one room? No, but it probably gets, like, a hall of some sort, I would imagine, like, a conference room or something. You've got to have it somewhere. You store it somewhere. 
Hmm. Either way. I'm thinking that'd be a bad idea because someone could come in and mess with your crap if you did a conference room. It's cute that they just let people, you think they just let people into those secured rooms. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying isn't it easier to get into a conference room than a hotel room? Probably. Yeah. But that is weird. Yeah. I have a piece of good news from the NHL. This is my last bit of NHL news. I've got two bits of good news from the NHL, so whichever one you have, I will tell you the other one. Okay. So Mario Lemieux and his wife, Natalie, have pledged to match donations to the Mario Lemieux Foundation during the holidays up to half a million. Yep. That's not one of the ones I had for either of my two, so we got three pieces of good news. Well, you know, I always keep my eye on the Pittsburgh Penguins stuff. Go, Go figure. So, the Penguins and Lemieux Foundation made the announcement on Tuesday, which also detailed the many different organizations that they're going to be benefiting from this. So, I looked at the list. It's a very long list, but they're mostly medical foundations. So, cancer research, supporting families who go through cancer treatment and things like that. Right. That's not a bad thing by any means, clearly. When it comes to... The good news I have, um, it's related to hiring. So the Florida Panthers hired their first black assistant GM in NHL history by hiring Brett Peterson. Okay. Previously, he's been involved with a couple of juniors teams in Quebec and as well as some juniors teams in the United States. So like he's very qualified for the role. As well, the Blackhawks hired Kendall Coyne Schofield, which I'm probably butchering the middle name and I apologize, Kendall. I really do. As a player development coach and youth hockey growth specialist, making her the first woman to hold that role in Chicago and in a majority of major markets in the hockey world. So kudos to her, player development coach. That's not an easy thing to take as a job, but I'm excited she's part of the rebuild process. I think she's going to do very well in that job. She's always been very close to the women's growth programs for women's hockey in the United States and in Canada. So I think she's going to be great with that that part of it, the youth programs. I think she's going to be phenomenal in that role as well. So I'm excited to see what she brings. She'll be the third woman working within the operations side of the business for the Blackhawks organization, which puts us at one of the higher percentages in the NHL as well. So staying on the personal team news i guess yeah 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 that's good i think the bar is still pretty low yeah for that i do too I... well shoot we just got our first general manager in the mlb as a woman so like you know the step it up yeah we're, we're working towards good good stuff there the national women's hockey league will be holding its upcoming 20 and 21 season completely in a bubble at the herb brooks arena in lake placid new york uh, most commonly for hosting the winter olympics back in the 80s right uh, do you believe in miracles that was the same arena okay um so where you know the american collegiate hockey players beat professional russian hockey players so yeah there's that and then there was COVID-19 news this week in the NHL. Yeah, we were expecting this. Four Golden Knights players have tested positive. In response, all team facilities will remain closed until full testing has been properly verified. So uh, they will not be doing anything. So they're all. doing full team testing? Everybody. With that many players, you just got to assume, right? Well, and you have the expanded rosters right now because we're in the off season. So basically, right. it's a lot of people. The Blue Jackets have also reported several players, they didn't announce the exact number because they don't have to under the current CBA, that have tested positive. The organization has also closed all team facilities in response. At least they're taking it seriously. And then two players test positive for for COVID-19 at the Canadians World Junior Team camp. The World Juniors team has 
stopped practices for 14 days, which is the current requirement by the Canadian government. So that's going to be interesting because other countries will not have to do that currently. But that's all the NHL news I have. I had one... I'm glad to hear news situation from the F1 race this morning in Bahrain. Yeah. I know I showed you the video of that. Basically, one of the drivers this morning uh, by the name of Romain Grosjean crashed during the opening lap of the Grand Prix this morning. He was cut off and made contact with the car in front of him, causing his car to spin and separate into two pieces, which both instantly combusted upon impact to the barrier walls. Is it made to split apart like that no, or is it, it just it happened as a result of a crash okay. yeah. um, i saw it happen but i didn't know if cars were meant to do that or not in that kind of thing no by no means but it split into two caught fire race safety officials were on the scene within less than 10 seconds of the accident happening so they were ready for something clearly which is awesome on the response yeah but they had to drag him with a little bit of his own strength help to get out of the car that was on fire he suffered only minor burns he was airlifted to a local hospital um so he has minor burns on his hands and his ankles he'll more than likely be out the remainder of the f1 season yeah it's kind of hard to drive a car at high speeds through corners with burned hands yeah, so yeah. just glad we ended it on a good note that he's fine yeah and recovering currently in Bahrain. So, but that's all the sports news I have. I know it seemed like forever. It was forever. It actually wasn't that it bad. It actually surprisingly wasn't that bad uh, mm-hmm. now that we're looking at the timestamp on it. But we do appreciate you guys giving us the time and listening to it today. And we'll catch you next week. With more sports. And until then, you can always check out our book podcast on Thursdays. Sounds like a plan as well. Keep up with us on our social medias. They'll be listed with the podcast. And we'll see you next time, guys. Bye. Bye.